Welcome to Nourish and Shine, where I talk with passionate leaders in the fields of nutrition, functional and integrative medicine, and wellness, providing inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and live a whole vibrant life starting now. The Nourish and Shine podcast is provided for educational and informational purposes only, and it is not medical, mental health, or healthcare advice. The information presented here is not intended to diagnose, treat, heal, cure, or prevent any illness, medical condition, or mental or emotional condition. Please make sure you consult with a trusted healthcare professional before you make any changes. Welcome to Nourish and Shine. Today I'm talking with Gina Hartman. Welcome, Gina. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm so looking forward to talking with you. After I took the trauma-informed training um, for eating disorders recently with you, I just loved your work and loved everything you talked about during that training. So I'm so excited to be able to talk with you on the podcast. And I'd love for you to start off just telling our listeners about yourself and how you came into this work. Well, thank you, Amy. Again, I'm so happy to be here. Um, this is the first time I've been on a podcast, so I'm I'm excited and a little nervous. Um, again, my name is Gina Hartman, and I am a registered yoga teacher. I'm a trauma-sensitive um, yoga teacher, and um, I have a passion for speaking on trauma and recovery. Uh, Pre-COVID, I worked as a trauma-sensitive yoga facilitator here in Temecula, where I live at the Center for um, Discovery, which is an eating disorder recovery program. And I, I currently am writing trauma-sensitive yoga curriculum and I'm involved in teaching 200-hour, 300-hour yoga uh, teacher uh, trainings. And I'm on faculty at Yoga for Eating Disorders, where I teach trauma-sensitive yoga workshops and trainings like the one uh, you attended. And my favorite part about what I do is sharing what I've learned and also learning from everybody else uh, who, I, who I get to speak with and train with. My husband and I live in Southern California where we raise our two daughters who are four and five. Awesome, I love that. And before we started, we were talking about how our kids are similar ages, which is fun and challenging and yeah, it's great. So. Um, one of the things I wanted to start out by is just talking about like, what is trauma, right? Because trauma is a word that's um, used in a lot of ways, I think. Um, and everyone may have a little different definition. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, what really is trauma? Okay. Um, well, I like to say that trauma is trauma, no matter what caused it. So it doesn't matter what it was. Um, if it caused a traumatic response to be held in your body, then, then it's trauma. Um, so trauma is any time we experience something that is overwhelming to our nervous system. And when that overwhelm happens and we don't have a pathway to release it, it's stored in the body as trauma. And so what that means is that long after whatever the event was that happened, your body and your mind will still send signals to your body to escape whatever was happening, um, resulting in trauma as we know it. Um, so, so trauma is the response to 
the event and not the event itself. So you can experience an event that was uh, scary, that was, you know, any of those types of things. But if your body releases that trauma or you escape and um, your fight and flight works properly and gets you away from whatever, whatever was threatening you, then your body can release the experience. And when your fight, flight, freeze and fawn, which I can talk about more later, is unsuccessful, then our body stores the event as trauma, resulting in trauma response. And I love that description. And in the class, you talked about that as well. And it just really strikes me like the response, it's the response to the event and not the event itself. And I think a lot of times we identify trauma as like the traumatic event not so much like the inability to like process that. And so for me, that was a real mind shift in understanding trauma. Yeah, I think we do like to talk about trauma. Um, you know, we hear the, the types of phrases like, oh, that was so traumatic, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and maybe it really was traumatic, but I think that word has just kind of um, turned into an umbrella term for something that was difficult or, um, hard or irritating or you know anything like that um so but really traumatic is the is the response something that's traumatic means that the response to the event um was something that caused trauma and one of the things that brings to mind for me is lately i've heard a lot of people talking a lot about like big t versus little t when you're speaking about trauma what are your thoughts on that um my my personal thoughts, so big T trauma could be a car accident or, you know, something that we would all consider traumatic, right? The, the, the death of a loved one, um, these types of events that would be considered big T trauma. And then little T trauma uh, could be considered something that was smaller, but maybe more consistent. So if you are, if you were consistently ignored, as a child, that might be considered little t trauma because there wasn't one big event that we can point to and call it the event. Um, I don't use the terms big t and little t trauma only because I feel like it diminishes um, the people who may have experienced what's considered little t trauma. And I appreciate that we have those terms because it helps clinicians kind of divide and put traumas in a, in a category just for their own um, sake. But for me, as a trauma-sensitive yoga practitioner, again, trauma is trauma no matter what caused it. It's trauma. So, I really appreciate um, that. Yeah. 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 And so when we're talking about yoga and trauma, why is it important as a yoga instructor to be cognizant of trauma? Um, as yoga instructors, I, I think actually as anybody who works with the public, so if you have a job and you work with the public, which is most people, yeah. um, especially yoga teachers, we need to be mindful and we need to be aware that everyone we come in contact with has experienced trauma to some degree. Um, and so when we can approach as yoga teachers are teaching um, through that lens, we can interact differently. Um, that the lens of, okay, everybody has experienced some form of trauma creates compassion and understanding. And it helps us let go of judgment 
I feel like it also gives people the space they need just to be as they are in the moment. And also um, through the yoga instructor lens, just being conscious of trauma makes the yoga makes the yoga that you're teaching an even more healing practice. So whether students are aware that you're a trauma-informed teacher or not, the, the yoga, the trauma-informed yoga is still doing its work. So as a yoga teacher, for me, I want to hold space um, for self-care and acceptance to those who attend my classes. And I'm, that's why I teach. So being trauma-informed helps to motivate my teaching differently. Um, and it's this, it's, pardon me, a successful class is one that offers room for each student to, to truly make their practice their own. Oh, I love that. And can you give some examples of like how a trauma-informed class would differ from just a regular yoga class? Or what are some like differences you might pick up if you're a student? Absolutely. Uh, so if you're a student, you might not notice anything depending on the degree of trauma, trauma sensitivity. You could, um, I, I teach a kind of a slow flow or sometimes vinyasa style class. And I would venture to guess that none of my students know that it's trauma informed, but they all say, wow, your class is just so, so different. Um, but, they, but they wouldn't put their finger on it. Whereas in a trauma sensitive yoga class, if you were just a, a typical yoga practitioner, you would notice a lot of differences. But the main difference in trauma sensitive yoga is the way that it's facilitated. And so you could have a vinyasa class or a yin class um, that, that looks exactly like a, the vinyasa class or the yin class you've always taken, but the way that it's facilitated is quite different. And some of the different ways and uh, modifications that we add to a trauma-informed or a trauma-sensitive yoga class can be changes and modifications to the environment, um, changes to ourselves, uh, just our teaching qualities, the language that we use, some of the exercises or postures and forms that we would cue and also assists. So in, in truly trauma-sensitive yoga, there are no hands-on assists. Um, and the reason for that is that when we're dealing with trauma and those in recovery, the student's relationship to themselves and their body is the most important. So as soon as we place our hands on a student, on anybody really, it creates a noticeable power dynamic that says, I as the teacher am in charge of your body. And so with trauma recovery, we, we're really trying to find agency in our body. Um, and so there are no hands-on assist. A couple other things that might look different um, could be that the teacher stays on their mat. I stay on my mat the whole time I teach. And I also practice with the students in my class. Um, and the reason for that is that part of what makes trauma traumatic is, can be somebody asking you to do something that they're not doing themselves or someone doing something to you that they're not also doing. So for me as a teacher, if I'm saying inhale, reach your arms high, I'm inhaling, I'm reaching my, my arms high. Um, and also if you're staying on your mat, then you're not, you're not putting your hands on anybody else. That makes so um, much sense. Yeah. 
And then just, you know, another, a couple of things you could avoid some of the more triggering postures, happy baby and puppy pose. And those types of postures can be um, dysregulating for uh, many people. And so those kinds of things, also a shorter Shavasana. For me, the quiet, silent part of Shavasana is typically only one to two minutes long. If there's, if there's a meditation or a nidra, then that's, I'm all for it. That can be a half an hour long, but the quiet part, um, it can be really activating for people to lay still and quiet. Um, their mind can kind of get going. So those are just some things you could do um, to make a class if you're a teacher more trauma sensitive or some things you may notice if you um, take a class that's trauma informed or trauma sensitive. I love that. And one of the things I liked was just kind of the attention to detail of the teacher and how like very, very small changes could really impact someone's experience in the class. Um, and so going through the class just made me think more about my own languaging, like how you refer, um, especially in like an eating disorder community, how you would refer to various parts of the body or not refer to them. And that's part of it too is um, I think sometimes as yoga teachers, we almost say too much or get too descriptive and sometimes letting people like be in their experience um, is more meaningful or more impactful. Um, but also like the description of forms versus poses. And could you speak more into that? Yes. So in trauma sensitive yoga, um, kind of like what you were saying is that the emphasis during the practice is not on perfect alignment, which I feel like a yoga, yoga teachers will go, ah, like, what do you mean? Um, but it's not on perfect alignment. It is on um, the, the practitioner developing friendliness with their body. That's the goal. And so a few ways that, you know, that we can do that are to offer language of inquiry, um, to ask questions, notice, you know, use words like notice or experiment or feel, and also invite students to move as they're ready and to not move if they're not ready. In trauma-sensitive yoga, we, we wouldn't use the word pose. Um, pose can be really activating, triggering, dysregulating for many people. And so in trauma-sensitive yoga, we would use a term like for, uh, form or shape, or we would just maybe use the name of the posture. So instead of saying child's pose, we could just say child's, things like that. Um, that's another part of the modifications, right? That would fall under the language modifications for trauma-sensitive yoga. Um, and so the whole goal of the practice for the teacher is to create a safe container and a safe uh, by safe, meaning um, doing as many things we as we can to minimize dysregulation in our students. And taking the word pose out of the cueing is one thing we can do. I love that. And what does like trauma coming up in a yoga class, what can that look like? Um, and how do yoga teachers kind of help support that or um, help their students with that when it comes up? So as a trauma sensitive teacher or facilitator, it is our job to try to anticipate and prevent uh, triggering scenarios as much as we can. But with that in mind, I'm sure in every class I teach, there's something that I say or do that causes somebody to be uncomfortable and that's okay. We have to give ourselves grace as teachers, but 
dysregulation in a class could look a few different ways. You could notice somebody um, visibly dysregulated, maybe, maybe crying, not just crying, but sobbing. I feel like we have a lot of crying in yoga classes. That is, that's okay. That's healing crying. Um, but sobbing or panicking, something like that. Um, dysregulation in a class might also not look like anything. Um, it may be a person takes the whole class and leaves and just never returns because they felt so dysregulated, um, but they didn't show any signs of that. So some things we can do as teachers is, is to kind of go over it and touch on that before class even starts. Um, maybe normalize that it's okay and it's a possibility that these things could happen. And um, you're, you know, hopefully they're feeling like they're in a safe space that, that that's okay. Um, we could also, as a teacher, go over some options for what to do should that occur. So maybe you designate a place in the class that someone can go if they're feeling dysregulated. Um, usually at the beginning of class, you could offer a grounding practice and then just kind of cue the students to know, here's a grounding practice if you're feeling dysregulated at all during this hour-long trauma-sensitive class you can always come back to this practice. If you notice somebody during class, during the class who's very heightened, um, you can cue the whole class. You could cue the whole class to a breathing exercise or a grounding exercise so that that student wouldn't have to be called out by name. And again, you could, you could mention to them that there's that space we de designated during class if you feel like that would benefit them. And then always, the, the option to reach out to a student after class if you notice that they were dysregulated during class or if they get up and leave during the class, that's perfectly okay, that's their choice. But we as teachers can always reach out and just um, you know, inquire, ask how they are, is everything okay? And that kind of thing. And I think that's really important that students are able to get up and walk out without that judgment, but also with like a caring follow-up um, as well, because as you talked about being able to leave or, you know, not feel stuck or contained within the room um, can help, I would imagine, with processing trauma. Yes, um, it's, it's part of the healing, um, kind of one of the healing aspects of trauma-sensitive yoga is being able to uh, make a choice and then take effective action based on that choice. So if, if my choice is I don't want to be in this class anymore, um, a traumatic experience would say, that's too bad. You have to do something that you don't wanna do. But helping to heal trauma, we would maybe notice, I don't wanna be in this class. And I have now, I have the agency to get up and aid myself in achieving what I wanna do by taking effective action and leaving the classroom. So that's always an option. Yeah, and you spoke about grounding. Can you speak more into what is grounding and maybe give an example of how someone might um, ground themselves? Yeah, so grounding is when we feel, let's see, it's a connection to either the, the earth or whatever is supporting you. And so it's a powerful tool in the, in the trauma healing toolkit because it, it helps to reduce a state of activation. So it can sometimes very quickly bring us back into a state of regulation. 
Um, and so when we ground, we connect to the ground or again, objects that support our body. And we may tune in to uh, feelings of being physically supported or a feeling of, and or a feeling of having a definite location uh, and the feeling of being solid and stable. So we might say something to ground, like take a moment and feel your feet on the ground if you were sitting in a chair. So that would, that would help us notice what it feels like to be supported. Then we would maybe say, notice the support um, of the surface underneath you, right? So that grounds us in a definite physical location. And then something like, and then notice what it feels like to be supported. And so that helps us notice that solidity and stability of the objects that are supporting us. So that would be, you know, a quick way of grounding. Yeah. And so when the body receives and notices these messages about being supported, it, it feels comfort, relief, and relaxation. Um, and so in that way, it can help sort of diffuse or diminish that, that heightened sense of activation in the nervous system, like panic or anxiety. Yeah. And I think we've already kind of hit on this, but kind of just getting more specific. So um, how, like, how does yoga or the practice of yoga really help kind of someone deal with a, a trauma or release trauma? Um, and why would it be beneficial for someone with trauma to go to like a trauma-informed class? So trauma can affect how you, how you feel about yourself. It can affect how you relate to others. Um, and it can really cause long-lasting brain ch changes that can lead to all kinds of things, addiction, depression, self-harm, eating disorders. Um, and what's so amazing is that trauma-sensitive yoga, it has, a, it has a ripple effect on your emotional health, your mental health, your relationships, um, and on your experience of just living in the world. It helps survivors become grounded in the present moment. It helps them to self-regulate and to stay there, to accept the present moment um, as it is, the experience that you're having right now, and find a sense of connection. And so dysregulation is pretty much the fundamental issue in all mental health struggles. And so trauma-sensitive yoga helps us to begin to be able to regulate ourselves and widen our window of tolerance so that we're not constantly swinging um, either up or down out of our window of tolerance in dysregulation. So since trauma, it affects the body and it's stored in the body, uh, trauma treatment has been found to um, need to incorporate the body. Yeah. I, I love, Dr. Peter Levine says that trauma is the most misunderstood and untreated cause of human suffering. And so let's see, I think that many times in our culture, we would say, you know, this person is, you know, fill in the blank, bipolar or OCD or depressed, anxious. Um, but when actually what we really need to be looking at is the cause of these traumatic responses, um, not the response itself. So and that leads me into, I really wanted to ask you about like trauma and mental health and yeah. that connection there. And I think, 
you already kind of alluded to it, but I'd love you to say more about that. Um, I love that you said mental health and not mental illness. Yeah. I, um, I heard, I was listening to a podcast and I heard someone say that we need to change our narrative of mental illness, mental disorder, you know, with, with quotes around it. And maybe we need to change those words to trauma response or coping mechanism that once provided safety um, and, or maybe a toxic thinking habit that can be unwired. Um, that shift in perspective allows for more dialogue and you know, less stigma and hope for healing. So if you think about it through the lens of maybe an eating disorder, instead of saying this person has an eating disorder, um, which that is the name for it, we could say this person has an eating disorder as the response to trauma or as a coping mechanism that once provided safety. Um, and in that way, we're kind of destigmatizing um, mental health and mental illness or mental illness. Um, and so again, you know, our culture has a, a big stigma around that. And so if we can open the conversation a little more, maybe people feel like they can, they can access trauma sensitive yoga. You know, if they, if they think of it as a trauma response, um, maybe they can find treatment specifically for trauma instead of treating just the response. I love that. And that's part of what functional medicine is too, is getting to kind of the root cause. And I think um, one of the popular sayings is like, you can't medicate your way out of a certain condition at, or like, you know, poor lifestyle or poor diet or whatever, and you can't supplement your way out. But I think in the same way, like to really heal trauma, you can't ignore the body, right? Like no amount of medication or whatever is going to be healing um, without really looking at what's going on in the body and connecting um, with that. Yep, yoga, yoga really addresses the, the suffering in the body and that's where it lives um, and the sensations that go with it. Because if you have um, suffering in your body, there are sensations that go with it and you probably try to ignore the sensations. Tra um, Trauma-sensitive yoga helps you stay with them um, in order to in order to begin to heal. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I also wanted to talk about um, is trauma and eating disorders. And can you talk to me about kind of the link between the two and how trauma-informed yoga can help this population as well? Yes. So. Um, as someone who has experienced an eating disorder, um, and I now work with those who are struggling with eating disorders, um, the relationship between trauma and eating disorders is absolutely undeniable um, because the relationship to the body is often a huge casualty of trauma. And so when we think about it this way, um, if we experience something that is traumatic, we might perceive ourselves as, as having been betrayed by our body, right? My body didn't get me to safety. And so if my body didn't get me to safety, then maybe consciously and unconsciously, um, many survivors then have kind of a harsh relationship with their body. Um, and because of that, thoughts and again, they might be conscious or unconscious, could be, um, how can I nourish and care for this body that has betrayed me, that didn't get me to safety, that, that let that happen? 
um, that has been a source of so much pain. Um, survivors of trauma may then give up taking care of their body, whether they mean, you know, they're conscious of it or not. Um, and because of those either conscious or unconscious choices, those choices can manifest um, in drug and alcohol abuse, high-risk behaviors, certainly eating disorders, um, and other things. Um, but trauma survivors and also those with eating disorders can suffer from anxiety, fear, disconnection, um, and trauma-informed practices are focused on helping people discover um, a more gentle way to be in their body and a, a more gentle way to relate to their body. So learning to inhabit the body with awareness and kindness can be radically, um, a radically unusual experience for someone with an eating disorder, as well as a trauma survivor. Um, but it is important in the recovery of both eating disorders and trauma. And uh, yoga can also help people recover from their eating disorder by rebuilding interoceptive awareness. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about what that, what that is, but that interoceptive awareness reconnects the mind and body so that they can work together again, um, so that they can recognize and respond to each other's signals. Um, so yeah. say more about that and kind of maybe give some examples of how that happens or what that looks like. Yeah, so um, interoceptive awareness or introception is one of the most important concepts in trauma-sensitive yoga. So what is interoception? Um, interoception is the ability to feel what's going on inside your skin. So if you think about um, the feelings of, am I hot? Am I cold? Am I hungry? Am I uncomfortable? That, that would be you using your interoceptive awareness. So the parts of the brain that can do that are deeply damaged um, in people that have experienced trauma and those with eating disorders. Um, they're, they're really underactive. And so if we can't notice what we're feeling, then we can't know what our body needs. Um, and so cultivating that sensory awareness is critical, both for trauma and eating disorder recovery. Um, if we don't feel pain, then we can't attend to our body's need to be cared for. So practicing interoception, um, which is exactly what trauma-sensitive yoga aims to do, helps us to gain back that sensory awareness. What am I feeling in my body? What am I, you know, again, am I hot? Am I cold? Am I comfortable? Is it too noisy? So anything having to do with the senses registering in your body um, and kind of gaining back that aware, the awareness of those senses is part of what we need to do in order to heal. I love that perspective. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is kind of the senses. And I know coming back into your senses can be pretty challenging as far as um, just uh, having that trust almost, um, to trust yourself, to trust your perceptions. Can you speak to trust and how that plays into um, that relationship? Yes. So those who have experienced trauma, like I said, have a much lower um, interoceptive awareness. And the reason for that is um, as trauma survivors, sometimes we have to turn off our feelings, our um, perceptions, 
right? It doesn't matter if I'm hot, if I'm cold, I have to behave perfectly um, in order to avoid whatever the trauma is. Or, it, you know, it doesn't, my comfort level doesn't matter. And with eating disorders, um, the, the person struggling with eating disorder will turn off the hunger, the thirst. We practice ignoring those interoceptive cues um, so that we can better, you know, either cope with a trauma or cope with practicing an eating disorder. So a small practice, if you want me to share a small practice yeah. too, just to practice interoception um, would be just to take a seat in a chair on the ground, wherever you might be in your car and just first start off by taking a look around and just noticing some of the characteristics of your present experience, right? So maybe you notice where you are, what room you're in. Um, if you can see out a window, those kinds of things. Um, are you sitting? Is it noisy? Is it quiet? Maybe you feel hot or cold and you could check in with your body. Do you feel restless or heavy, tense? And after you check in in all those areas, take a moment and just notice if you feel any kind of discomfort. So whether it's the temperature, the sensation, noise, and just notice if you feel anything that is bringing you any kind of discomfort. And then see if there is something you can do, even just a tiny thing to make yourself feel better. So you just pick something small and tangible. If you're sitting in a chair right now, you might think, oh, my legs are crossed and that isn't comfortable. I'll shift in my chair. And notice how it feels to use that interoceptive awareness to take care of yourself. So that's something you can do at any moment during the day it doesn't take long, it's not noticeable, but it's just tuning in to that interoception inside your body. I really appreciate that practice. That's just even now I was like sitting here and I'm like, oh yeah, my feet are super cold. Like just <laughs> wiggling my toes, like just yeah. more comfortable, but it is, you kind of block out those things. Um, but tuning into the body, I think is so important. And I agree with you that really practicing yoga gets you on the mat and kind of brings back some of that mind-body connection and like that presence um, and being in the present moment, which is, is hard in this day and age with so many external things going on as well and so many distractions out there or ways to distract or numb out or whatever. It is, you know, just stepping onto your mat. I feel like if you've got a consistent yoga practice, even if you don't, but you've practiced a few times, the minute your feet get onto that mat, something happens. You know, you have more awareness. You, you're in that space where you're allowed to notice your body. Um, and you might sit down. It might be the only time during the day when you sit down and take a breath and let it out. Um, and so just, just the, the practice of noticing your your body, your breath at any time is a, it's a beautiful practice and it's a healing practice. Yeah. Anytime you can notice an inhale and an exhale, you're doing the work of healing. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the interview, I always like to ask every guest, what does the word nourish mean to you? So to me, uh, nourish means to take care of my entire being, um, to foster that whole person wellness. Um, because I think that we were created 
to be nourished by creation um, and in and, and, and everything that's around us. So to me, that looks like attending to my mind, my body, and my spirit. Um, if we leave one of those out, if I leave one of those out, I don't feel nourished. So um, if I can attend to my mind, body, and spirit with kindness and compassion um, and remember that I am loved and remember with love who I am. Oh, that's beautiful. That's one of the most beautiful descriptions of nourished I've heard. <laughs> so, and then what's one thing you do regularly for self-care? Can I say yoga? Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course I practice yoga, but um, you know, it's not so much the physical part of the practice, but like we were just talking about, it's, it's the stopping noticing my breath and getting still enough to invite that divine awareness into my actions um, and noticing what my heart and mind and body need. So even if it's just five minutes on my mat, um, just getting still and sitting and breathing, that is something that, that I need and that I find if I, if I, for some reason don't get, I'm feeling a little bit off. So I regularly do that. I get still and get on my mat. Oh, I love that. I couldn't agree more. So, all right. I'm sure our listeners are going to want to connect with you. Where can they find you online? Online, you can find me at sanctuaryyoga.info. That would be my website. And then on Instagram, you can connect with me at sanctuary underscore yoga underscore T-S-Y, like trauma-sensitive yoga. Perfect. And I'll link everything up in the show notes. Thank you so much, Gina, for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to the Nourish and Shine podcast. I'll be back next month with another amazing guest. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to leave me a ratings or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, check out my website. It's amysapola.com, where I offer one-on-one packages, online courses, and group classes. I'd love to connect with you on social media as well. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, may you be nourished and well. The Nourish and Shine podcast is provided for educational and informational purposes only, and it is not medical, mental health, or healthcare advice. The information presented here is not intended to diagnose, treat, heal, cure, or prevent any illness, medical condition, or mental or emotional condition. Please make sure you consult with a trusted healthcare professional before you make any changes.